Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of COVID-19. Last episode, I went on a little rant, and uh, it felt pretty good, actually. (laughs) I actually have another one coming. Yep, this is what happens to me in quarantine mode. I get bristled, and I start to bitch about things. So the target of my rant today is Facebook. Well, sort of Facebook. It is posts that I've been seeing on Facebook. Yeah, it's a social media boon. What is it? It's the mom challenge. Yeah, you've seen it. I know you have. I've freaking been nominated and thank you for doing so. I don't do these things. It's just not my flavor. Here's here's what the posts say. Day one of 10 of being a mama challenge. Every day I select a picture from a day in the life of being a mama Post it without an explanation and nominate somebody to take the challenge. That's 10 days, 10 photos, 10 nominations. So what are we seeing? We're seeing the cutest little baby pictures, dimples, ice cream cones, adorable princess dresses, and superhero costumes, all smiles, cuteness, and it's amazing, and it's lovely, and total bullshit. Oh, what? Did I say that? Yeah, actually, I did. Look, being a parent is incredible. It's the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. I've done it three times. I'm continuing to do it. I will be a parent forever now. But it's not all dimples and ice cream cones and chocolate milk mustaches. It just isn't. And I want a mom who's participating in the Mom Day Challenge to be a little more real, right? I have three boys. You want to know what my 10-day challenge looks like? Bloody noses broken bones, machine guns on the PS4 while they're murdering zombies. It's a lot of that, okay? And that's what you would see because that's real. I get it. We're in this crazy time. We want to be positive. We want to be upbeat. Okay, I can do that too. I also have some beautiful pictures of my boys. But it's not real, right? Challenge. It's a challenge, to be a parent, single parent, no less. But I love doing it, but I want some real. I thought about this because my Facebook memory came up and here here was the post that came up for me. This is something I put up. Up at 6 a.m. to get one kid to school for his trip at 6.45, next kid to school at 7.45 for his trip, third kid to school at regular time, but only to be rejoined at 9.15 for a field trip with a thousand other first graders from around the city. Yeah, and it's only 1 p.m., so don't ask me how I am until after I've had a nap or a drink, whichever comes first. With a winky face, and then I said, I love being a mom and grateful for the privilege. And that is true. But that was a hard freaking day. It was hard enough that I felt like I needed to post about it. It's real. Make it real. I'm a single mom, so my challenges are are a little different. I am grateful that I have an awesome co-parenting relationship with my kid's dad. So it makes it a little bit easier in that regard. But, you know, actually now it makes me wonder, why isn't there a dad challenge. I haven't seen that on Facebook. How come dads aren't being asked to post their 10 days of being a dad? I think the only way to handle that is to actually ask a dad. And I found one, specifically a dad who has been very vocal about the challenges he's experienced as a parent. And we're going to definitely talk about that. 
friend of mine. His name is Chris Baer. He's an award-winning conceptual thinker, creative leader, and writer who has developed, produced, and sold effective ideas for ad agencies, social media brands, mobile startups, and Silicon Valley giants. Yes, he's quite good at what he does. He's also currently helping to shape the future of fintech and advocating for OCD awareness around the globe. Here's my interview with Chris. All right, Chris, I, I got to ask you, talking about the mom challenge, do yeah. dads feel like they're missing out on the 10-day, what's it like being a dad challenge? Uh, this dad does not. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, social media, uh, the beauty of it is that you can pick and choose what you want to engage with and interact with. And if something uh, isn't something you're into, then you can completely 100% avoid it or ignore it or just hide it or, you know, pretend you never saw it. <laughs> I, I think I'm guilty of any and all of those things. You know, as I mentioned in your bio, you know, you definitely have a lot of varied experience, advertising, social media, mobile startups, that kind of thing. And and we have seen, and I've, a lot of people have commented, the commercials on TV, for example, almost immediately changed in terms of addressing the pandemic. Like I remember, I, I think it was one of the car brands uh, had a commercial that said, we know it's a scary time and money is tight, but don't worry, we'll help you. Uh, go deeper into debt by helping you get a car. <laughs> uh, but so I was, I, I, and this was probably a month and a half ago at least. So from from your perspective, someone who who's in that in that business essentially, how do you feel like the the advertising, branding, marketing world has transitioned during the pandemic? I think a lot of the things you saw initially were what you would have expected brands, you know, putting a full stop on everything that they were doing if it didn't relate or even if it like showed groups of people uh, in close situations, you know, so I think there was a time in March where there was not a lot on the air and then quickly found type treatments and new scripts that kind of like, you know, we're here with you, here for you, doing our best to to help you, you know, that, that solidarity message and safety message. And then now I think what you're seeing as, you know, they got that stuff off the ground as fast as possible is you're seeing how can they still keep people buying and, and, and keep their bottom line from going too deeper in black and uh, in red? And how do we allow people to shop online? How do we get the stuff to them faster? You know, car manufacturers, go pick it up online. We'll deliver the car to your house. And I think that that's in all industries. Where I work right now, we went from probably the majority of the company working in the office to now there's over 200,000 people working remotely. So everybody's just, I think it's just, it's been a huge period of adjustment. It makes sense that customers were, I mean, companies were advertising about being with you, solidarity, we're here for you, we'll help you in any way as possible, whether it was, you know, we're going to cancel your interest rates or delay your payments or, you right. know, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's like, how do we get people to, to buy stuff? And, if you had a good online presence, chances are you were able to cushion that. And now, you know, internally, they got to look at like, how do they get in the stores? You look at like food, you know, like Applebee's, Chi Chi, how do they get people in and out? The curbside pickup is huge, but that's still like, how do we get people to be able to sit inside the restaurant? How do we get people to wear masks and be safe like that? So there's a lot of issues they got to work out behind the scenes. 
Is Chi Chi still in existence? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I even said that. <laughs> Applebee's. I'm trying to think of like, there's nothing around here that we ever go to. Well, but it's interesting because I know, I know you guys, you live in Brooklyn and there's a restaurant in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Chop Shop that has been making news because the owner there has actually put up partitions in between the tables. Mm. Uh, and it seems really innovative for sure and interesting and and it it reminded me of yeah i say reminded me only only in in movies of what the 50s were like where every every table was a booth and maybe that's what we need to go back to is the 50s where everything's a booth but has a taller partition so that there is some separation between us could be an interesting shift yeah yeah i also saw something online um like a restaurant in Amsterdam that basically put you in like a tiny greenhouse, which is what it looked like where you'd sit in this like glass structure and they would just kind of like take your order and um, open the door and hand it to you. And you kind of, you know, little ways, you know, some, some, sometimes I think it's about the appearance of safety. You got to do what you can. And then if you're going out to these places, you know, you're accepting some risk when you go there. Well, there's definitely a shift now as as areas start to reopen. And it's been interesting because the COVID creativity has been large. You know, people are definitely coming up with interesting ideas and interesting techniques. But as as you know, all too well, there's definitely some challenges that come with a pandemic like this, a virus like this, a shutdown like this. And so one of the things that I mentioned from your bio is what you do in the world of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and your family's involvement and creating awareness around OCD. And so I'm hoping, you know, you're, you're willing to talk a little bit about that and how that came about and how sure. you guys are managing during the virus. Sure. Uh, I mean, our family's been, uh, daughter was diagnosed when she was eight. So we've been, uh, she's a teenager now. So I think we're almost seven years uh, dealing with it. And there was a big transition to understanding what obsessive compulsive disorder is, how it affects somebody, seeing how serious and how much anxiety and pain it causes somebody, how the compulsions can wrap in an entire family and how Kids can suddenly be scared of things they never were before, including parents not want to go near them and react to them like, you know, they're going to kill them. It's just, uh, I think it's one of those, it's, it's been misunderstood. I think people are understanding more about it. If there's anything that good that's happened in the last seven years, I'd say it's that there's been a bit more understanding, a little less joking about it. I mean, it still exists, but uh, the more and more people using social media talk about it, talk about how it affects them, talk about it, that it's real, that it's not a joke, that it's not, you know, an adjective in place of the word meticulous or anal, that it's a serious issue that causes people a lot of pain and it's a mental health condition that fortunately can be treated. See, we, we were able to get therapy pretty quickly. We're thankful that our daughter was pretty vocal about her, her issues and not wanting to feel this way. And getting her treatment. And that's still, you know, when you get in treatment, it still took us, I would say, a good, good year and a half, two years to get her to a place where uh, things were much, you know, in a, let's say, a, a completely reversed and much, much better, but the issue still persists and it still goes on. And we created this film called Unstuck, an OCD kids movie to kind of showcase kids in general and how they can learn to overcome their fears, how there's a process called exposure response prevention to kind of slowly begin to face the things that fear uh, that you fear and get comfortable with that uncertainty or that uncomfortable with that anxiety and and get used to it and then um understand that you can beat it. i mean the, the disorder 
challenges parents in ways you'd never think. It really, the treatment is about going against just about every parental instinct that you have and understanding that you have to let your child or teen get better themselves and there's only a limited amount of things you can really do. So we, we really have gone from being people who needed a lot of help to offering help, to advocating, to speaking around the world, um, helping other people. And now, you know, our film has been out for almost three years. And so it was kind of the point where we're going, okay, you know, we can kind of slow down and, you know, people will find it as they, as they may, but now this, this virus has come along and it's given us a chance to show free screenings and create a new page on our site that links to a lot of resources, use our platform to uh, encourage people to go live, to talk about their issues, to seek help, uh, advocate for teletherapy, which is another great thing that's happened in this virus. I mean, forced a lot of therapists who were very hesitant to try new technology to suddenly, like, there is no other option. Either you're going to use your phone and do teletherapy or you're going to go out of business. So it's a lot of... uh, some some positiveness has, has come out of this whole thing. I know I just rambled on and on, but kind of just tried to encapsulate the last seven years into three minutes. <laughs> well, <laughs> you're very passionate about it. And as as a friend, I've, I've known you guys for a really long time. I have just been in awe of the way you basically woke up one, one day and your kid was, was having a challenge that you had never experienced before. And you guys took it on in such an inspirational and incredibly loving and compassionate way that it's it's been remarkable to watch and 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 it was heartbreaking to watch because i know how difficult it's been for you for for everybody in the family and what you guys have managed to do is is just incredible before i forget what is the, the website ocdkidsmovie.com uh, we have resource pages you can watch the film which is the short film 23 minutes long so it's a good way to kind of uh, get a quick understanding of what OCD is. It's all kids in the film telling you how OCD affects them, how it affected their family and how therapy works. So I think it gives you a good understanding. And, and uh, we really wanted to create it for other parents and families and kids going through this and understand that when, you know, when this crisis happens, you don't see hope. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And this kind of gives that way out and shows them that it is possible to get better. And that was so important for us to, when we were starting out, we didn't have anything like that. We just had to believe and trust a process and, and hope it worked. And when it did, it was like, okay, now how do we share this message so other people don't have to go through things like this? Well, and I think that's what's so unique about the film is that you allowed the kids to have their voice. It wasn't a bunch of grown-ups saying, well, this is what my child experienced or this is what you'll find. It's the kids telling their stories and it, it's it's remarkable and you know 23 minutes like i i want you guys to do another one <laughs> i want we you have, to do a follow-up in a way and we, see what uh, else has changed we have plans kind of in a hold for what's been going on in the world now but um yeah kelly anderson who directed the film and i um, we met through a parent group i mean one of the first things that um ali and i did my wife ali and i you know, we got Vanessa help and then we got ourselves help. We created a, a parent support group for families in Brooklyn because uh, one didn't exist. And, you know, when you understand how treatment works, you realize there's just things you can't, people, friends and family don't understand as much as they know you, they don't they have find it hard to understand that you would, part of this treatment is to work up to having your kid face the thing they fear the most. So if that fear is cancer, 
you'd say to somebody, oh, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to go to the hospital and walk the cancer ward. They go, well, you crazy? Well, no, this is what, this is what we got to do. Um, so uh, Kelly was one of the first members of the parent support group. And like from the moment I met her, she was like, I know there's a film and I just don't know what it is. And our daughters were uh, in a support group and then a summer camp for kids with OCD run by uh, Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan. And, and she was driving the kids home one day and they were just having a very adult discussion. What have you lost? What affects you? Um, how have you dealt with it? You know, do you, and she just realized that, oh, this is what the film is. We're just going to point the camera at kids and let them share their stories because they're, 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 they're in their own way. They're experts. They have to become experts of their brain, how it affects them, what their feelings are, what their emotions are. And that's what we did. And, and, and you know, it allows, it becomes very approachable. And then it just became our job to find kids that could speak from a knowledgeable point of view and that, that were in a positive place. You, you brought up your wife, and she's a, a been a, a dear friend of mine for a very long time. And it, I have to tell a story about a night that, that she and I had gone out to dinner, and then we were walking back to my apartment. And this is just a, a pure example of how, as a parent, you will shift and do whatever you can for your child, even if it seems so completely bizarre and at times even disgusting. Mm-hmm. So she and I were walking down the street and it was a Friday night or Saturday night and it was a little on the later side, but clearly somebody had been enjoying their evening because we walked past a huge puddle of vomit, <laughs> chunky, disgusting vomit. But we were deep in conversation and, and we're you know walking along and we do one of those, ew, and we keep walking. And then, I don't know, 10, 15 steps later, Allie stopped. And did one of those, oh, I have to go back. <laughs> and I watched her walk back over to this pile of puke and take her cell phone out and get really uncomfortably close to the vomit and take a picture because yeah. she knew that it would be helpful for your daughter in terms of just exposure response. I, and I sat there and, uh, you know, trying to hold back the gagging, but I, I almost started to cry because it was so amazing watching how everything had shifted in, in, in your world, in her world. And she realized, oh, this is what I have to do. Of course, I'm going right. to do this because it's for my kid. And sometimes things put your, um, the world puts things in your place to go, okay, I can use this as an exposure. And so for, for your, your listeners out there, um, my guess is that the reason Allie did that is exposure response prevention is slowly exposing yourself to the thing you fear. So my daughter has emetophobia, which is, you know, like fear of vomiting. And at times that has involved her not even going near our, her younger sister, being scared of her younger sister who threw up and was sick. So one of the ways you can do that is you start with like, let's say a lower level anxiety and your child will make a chart that says like the things they think they can do, maybe what they, what they call would be like a one or two level anxiety, then a four or five medium, and then like a high level, which would be like the nines or tens. And you eventually want to work up to tens. And one of the ways that we used to start with everything was pictures, pictures on the internet of people vomiting was like what she deemed was like a two or three. And that's probably why Ali took the picture. It was like, what do you call like a lower, lower anxiety in inducing exposure. And eventually it became like, you know, we watched Family Guy has a lot of great throw up scenes. We watched all those, <laughs> all those super cuts on YouTube. YouTube became a fantastic guide because there were all these challenge videos, milk challenges, and cinnamon challenges where people were like throwing up. 
And those were like things that we could do to kind of get Vanessa to the point of view. You know, we made we made vomit recipes. Oh, it was a lot of fun. We have a special recipe for vomit. I'm happy to provide if anybody wants it. Uh, <laughs> but you know, these are things you, as a parent, one of the things you can do is try to be creative and make them. Um, these things are not fun for kids. You know, they're they're you're putting them in uncomfortable. You know, it's uh, the closest that I've been able to kind of picture it in my head of what this goes through is imagine that you're. Uh, you have a hammer and you just repeatedly hit your finger over and over again with that hammer. And that's the pain and the anxiety that it, that somebody feels when they have that anxiety or that obsession and they need to get that relief, which is what the compulsion is. The compulsion is a relief. That's the ritual of like, okay, so if, X, if I'm scared of X, then I'm going to do the compulsion that's going to temporarily relieve that anxiety. And so uh, if you can make the exposure interesting, fun, creative, something unique. We found that kids anyway are more likely to try it out. Uh, just anything you can do to make it a little more irresistible. And uh, if you can find something that, as a parent, if you if you can find something that allows you to do something that would get, you know, have power over the OCD or let, let your child go, hmm, I think I'm going to do that. Uh, then, you know, there's little ways you can get little victories. One of the things I remember you had shared with me at you know one of our conversations, and it was just such a succinct statement, even though it for me in the initially it was a little confusing, but you had said OCD does not make you happy. Right. You know, so with people, you know, who we hear this all the time, it's like, oh my God, I'm so OCD. I can't, you know, yeah. eat unless I, you know, am sitting to the left of the whatever. You know, your response is like, well, it's not OCD because if it makes you feel good, it's not OCD. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because I think that's what people don't understand. It's like, oh, well, what's the big deal if you have to tap the doorknob three times just to get out? So just do it. Yeah, it's, um, I think it comes from just not understanding. Not understanding, you know, what mental illness is or what mental health condition is. And I, you know, I'm guilty of it in my past saying like, uh, I'm just like, I'm just schizophrenic today things that i wouldn't say now because i understand more what the pain people are pain that they're going through and when you realize how much pain and agony people with ocd go through you understand that there's no way it makes you happy it's not fun it's not exciting and that's definitely not a joke and so you know i think it was easier some of it is the way it's portrayed in media or you read about it like it was easy for characters in tv like monk or the as good as the Jack Nicholson character and it's as good as it gets, they could visually show you washing his hands or organizing things. So that you went, okay, that made sense. What they couldn't show you is the mental anguish that he was going through, the, the mental pains of why they would do these things, what was forcing them to do these things. So it was easy, you know, that translated to people because they really didn't know to go, okay, if I have something organized, that must make me feel good. Therefore, that must be OCD. OCD must be a good thing. And when you learn about OCD, you realize, well, the, the, it's actually the opposite. If you, if you get satisfaction from organizing something and you think it's OCD, then the thing that you need to do is the exact opposite, make a complete and utter mess and live with it. But it's not a joke because people go, you know, there are people who, it can be about anything. It can be an image. It could be an urge. It could be a thing. It could be, you know, an, an intrusive thought. Uh, that just sticks in your brain and repeats over and over and over again. And so when you get people more context about what it is, I think they can understand that it isn't a joke. It isn't an adjective that you use in place of, you know, it's not, I'm so OCD. It's I'm so meticulous. I'm so anal. I'm so clean. If you get joy out of something, it's not, it's not hurtful. And mental illnesses are hurtful and they are painful 
and they cause severe anxiety and depression. And, you know, those are not all things that provide joy. I think when we, we, I, we try not to get angry when we hear that because it's like, well, here's just somebody who just doesn't understand. And we were like that too. And so if you can use those times to educate people or give them a little context, you know, then, then they understand a little better. I mean, you know, you'd never say, you never look at the freckles on your skin and go, oh, I'm so skin cancer. Or you'd never eat a, you know, you'd, you'd never eat a two candy bars and say, oh, I'm so diabetes. Right. You know, it's just, uh, and so I think a lot of that will come over time. Well, you guys are, are absolutely at the, the, the forefront of, of making that happen. And so it's, it's really amazing. And I'm, as I'm listening to it, you know, the work that I do in the harm reduction field, right. there's a definite parallel there with the stigma and the shame attached to any sort of mental health disorder. And in the substance use world, a lot of substance use disorder stems from mental health issues. And it is changing the, the language around it. You know, when somebody says, oh, uh, is so-and-so clean, meaning are they drug-free? I now shiver because I know that what the opposite of clean is, is dirty. And right. so, oh, you're saying that they're dirty. So a lot of what I do in, in the harm reduction world is try to change the language. So it's amazing you're doing the same thing and just listening to you. I'm like, wow, there's really a lot of parallels here. Yeah, and a lot of people, um, you know, there are a lot of self-medicated people who with OCD, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for somebody to have a comorbid issue, whether it's addiction and, or a drug, drug problem, um, to try to kind of help ease that pain or anxiety that they feel. Um, one of the things that we've seen recently is um, a move to treat issues together rather than separate. You know, um, used to be like somebody would say, well, no, you have to go to um, AA and get clean first, you know, sorry, you know, you have to get, you have to be in recovery before we can treat this. And now you have people going, okay, you know, we're going to try to do it together so that because we realize these issues are linked. That's incredible. Yeah. And I, and I think it's vital and it's crucial. And I, I'm so in awe of you guys on a, on a daily basis and in awe of your kid, who's still an incredible young woman. Yeah, she's pretty great. I mean, yeah, no, and, and the fact that, that her sister became a spokesperson for siblings, they're just amazing. And they're amazing because you guys are amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, it's really, it's one of those, I guess, you know, I don't know if this loops back to the parent challenge at all, but. I think one of the coolest things that you just don't expect, you know, when somebody says, oh, you're going to have a baby, yeah, you're going to be a parent. The things you're going to discover and watch, the, watch somebody grow and see their strength and see their observations and see how, what they care about and the things you learn about yourself as watching them. And you just, parenting teaches you to just be constantly trying new things and being aware of what's going on. And so to see my children kind of advocate for themselves, even uh, Vanessa, when she was a kid, you know, we were very much in charge of her therapy. And like when she was 12, she suddenly started to be like, look, I, I need to, I need to try some different things. I need to do something different. And so we, you know, did the same thing we did when we were younger. We started asking other people, how did you deal with it? And we got her, her own therapist, a different therapist, her own therapist, and she became more in charge because that's what she wanted to do. Those are just things you like, wow, this, this kid who's 12 years old is suddenly really advocating for herself in, in certain ways. And Charlotte, the younger sister has been like, you know, siblings are important. And uh, she has no problem walking up to the president of the OCD Foundation charity and giving her <laughs> her peace of mind. 
<laughs> it's I, very funny. Exactly it's, her. <laughs> it's very funny, but she will be like, where's the stuff for me? I, uh, you know, and, and then the president of the foundation has enough people to answer to, but she doesn't want to disappoint a kid who, who's clearly feels there's a need and a need not met. So Charlotte's been um, on the forefront of the sibling, you know, treating siblings and making sure siblings have a voice. Last year, she spoke at a, on a panel and she organized like a night out for siblings. This year, we were going to have four events. Uh, she was going to be part of three of them. God, the, can the conference was canceled this year for obvious reasons. But, you know, these are things that we can do to, as a family, lessons that we learned and the things that we had to do if we can pass on those you know, information and advocate for things that, that we think are important. And the film has allowed us to get a platform for that. Yeah, no, and you're you guys you're very active on social media, which is which is awesome. And and sometimes it's just a quick little meme that you put up with with a statement or something that makes me go, Oh, I didn't even think of that. So so it's really great. So OCDkidsmovie.com. Thank you, Chris, for sharing your vomit. <laughs> well, thanks Stories. for having me on. <laughs> I appreciate it. And so OCDkidsmovie.com, there's resources there. And if people want to get a hold of you, they can get you through there as well. Absolutely. And Instagram at OCDkidsmovie, Facebook at OCDkidsmovie. Happy to help answer questions, find therapists, use our network to help people get better, start getting on treatment in any way we can. And the movie is available for people to stream. Yep. Stream on Vimeo. We stream on our website. If you use a lot of public libraries and colleges have this thing called Canopy. It's free on Canopy if your public library has that service. So a lot of different ways you can uh, see the film. Amazing. Thank you, Thank you for taking some time out of your COVID day. Give hugs to the rest of the family and uh, we'll talk soon. Will do. See you soon. So in this moment, I think uh, Chris wins the dad challenge every day. It's our job to share with others what we learn because oftentimes it feels like we're alone. You know, you heard Chris talk about how they created a parent support group because there wasn't one. And once they did that, all of a sudden, you know, started out with a couple families. Now, from what I understand, it's packed all the time. So because they were brave enough to share what their challenges were with other people, all of a sudden now everybody's coming together to share some of their tricks and tips and things that they've learned and things that they're struggling with so that everybody can work together and, and try to help each other feel better. Sometimes it's just that simple. And when we share, others share. It's kind of like a smile. Have you ever done that? You just smile at somebody and all of a sudden they smile back. It's contagious. I don't have a, an actual love letter to share with you today, but I do have an assignment for you. But if you do have a love letter you want to share with me, you can do that at loveinthetimeofcovid19 at gmail.com. I want you to take whatever you're using as a face covering, whether it's a mask, a scarf, I don't care what, a bandana. Put it on. Yeah, I know, it's annoying, but I'm at, do me a favor, okay? Put it on, go to the mirror, look in the mirror, make an angry face as if you were screaming at some dipshit who's not wearing a mask. Make an angry face. See what happens there? Usually your eyebrows will come together. Your eyes get narrower and beadier, which is kind of what you want when you're angry. Now I want you to smile. Not just like a polite smile that you do to the annoying neighbor down the street who's always saying hi, and you just smile, hi. I want you to do the kind of smile that happens when you pull up to the pickup window at the drive-thru 
and you find that you got a free order of fries and the car in front of you paid for your meal. That kind of a smile. Big, open smile. See what happens? I can't see your mouth, but I can see your eyes. Windows of the soul, that's what they say. And typically what will happen when you smile, a big smile like that, your eyebrows will go up as well. Share that. When you're outside, even if you're not feeling it, it could be something as simple as just lift your eyebrows up. You almost don't even have to move your mouth. All of a sudden, you look more sincere. You look happier. Share that with people. Lift up those eyebrows. Show the world you can smile with your eyes. That's my assignment for you this week. Practice your masked smile. Thanks for being here with me and for letting me be there with you, wherever that might be. Thanks for taking care of yourself and your community by wearing a mask. Keep washing your hands, stay six feet apart, keep everybody safe. Thanks to Chris for sharing his story. You can go to ocdkidsmovie.com for more resources about obsessive compulsive disorder. And you can find us on Instagram, lovecovidstyle. Follow, share. I'll be here for you next time. And I'll see you real soon. I'm Julie Stampler. Stay well. Thank you.